launches his body onto the ball. Now they hack a kick forward. Hawkins with strength. It's just too big, too strong, and too good in the end. Welcome to the Cats Whiskers for another week. I'm Wes Cusworth and a warm welcome in particular to our listeners through 91.3 Sport FM. Uh, I dare say that you will find our program very engaging for this week and particularly as we do uh, hope to address some of the issues that are unfortunately plaguing your beloved Eagles for those that barrack for the Eagles over there in the West. And I dare say many will be claiming to be Frio supporters right at the moment because they're flying high, aren't they? Uh, we welcome Mark Brunger. He's with us tonight. Anthony Petkovic's part of the panel. And Mark Browning has been let back into the panel um, after some controversial circumstances on Saturday that saw him actually barracking for Port Adelaide in the latter stages of the game. Now, please explain, Mark Browning. You have the floor. Good evening, everyone. Thanks, Wes. Yes, uh, I think it would have been a record broken if Geelong had finished with 11 goals, 14. And with a couple of minutes to go, that was the exact score. I found it, well, almost the most exciting part of the game in the last quarter. Um, and then, of course, Geelong, unfortunately, did score those extra two points. But, yeah, they were heading for the fourth time. They would have scored exactly 11 goals, 14, 80 points. And they they just about got there. And Port Adelaide, you're rubbish. You couldn't even save those last two points to give me the ultimate satisfaction for those last few minutes of the game. In, in all seriousness about it, gentlemen, I think the fact that they've scored 11-16 in the end and, and won, and they scored 11-14 at home against Brisbane and won, and the two times they scored 11-14 away, I think that's indicative of where they're at because they just shut down Port Adelaide scoring in the second half on Saturday, so they can do that more easily on the narrow Caninia Park ground, can't they, than um, the wider MCG or, or uh, Marvel or somewhere else. Spot on. I watched closely the defensive setup of Geelong, and I think it is suited to uh, or easier to implement the defensive style they have at Caninia Park with the, uh, the narrower wings. Uh, and also, remember, against Frio, uh, they restricted Fremantle to 10 goals, 9, um, which is, in most circumstances, hardly a winning score. But they out-defensively uh, uh, played us. So um, on the bigger grounds, the MCG, the wider Docklands, even over on the big uh, Perth Stadium, maybe even the Adelaide Oval, um, that method might not work. Evening, gentlemen. Uh, I thought the interesting thing was, though, that the Port Adelaide did play the ground a lot better than a lot of other opposition sides do play it. We didn't see, I don't, I can't recall seeing any like kickouts from fullback go out of bounds on the full for Port Adelaide. I think they may have kicked one or two out of bounds on the full, but 
Um, generally, you see a lot of opposition sides kick out of bounds on the fall from uh, their kick-ins and so on. I think, obviously, that's the Ken Hinckley factor, having played so much football on that ground that he probably understands the dimensions of the ground fairly, fairly well. And uh, I, I think that probably helped them a little bit. But after halftime, Geelong were just super dominant and just took the game away from Port Adelaide completely. Does it also indicate, guys, that that problem that Geelong does have of not being able to convert properly inside 50? And, I mean, that was hugely obvious in the second quarter. Uh, they just couldn't hit their targets when they were free to deliver it inside 50. Um, you know, it was, as I said, three times they've got 11-14, 11-16 on Saturday, 12-16 against JWS. It's often enough to win. But if they're going to if they're going to finish top four, they've got to surely convert better inside fifty than what they're doing at the moment. I think it's the overall game style is one fact. When Geelong under Chris Scott restrict teams to fewer than eighty points, Geelong win on ninety six percent of occasions. The game style is built largely around the defensive structure of the team, which is sometimes the way they play. Uh, does not allow or does not accommodate high scoring, um, and and I think this is the this is the issue in terms of Geelong's the way in which they are set up to defend as opposed to set up to attack. I think part of their inaccuracy too is is due to or their their lack of ability at times to capitalise on those inside fifty opportunities is is due to their unselfishness as a forward line and as a team. And I think sometimes that brings them unstuck because there was a number of occasions on Saturday that I felt that they were, because they were trying to look for each other inside the 50 metre arc, that they were being a little bit too generous with the football rather than the person that's within 35, 40 metres of goal just having a shot for goal themselves, regardless of, of who they are. And and I think sometimes we we start looking for Tomahawk or for, for Jezza just a little bit too often. And, and sometimes those two wax and wane between each other rather than just one of them grabbing the ball. And I don't care which one of them inside 50 has the shot, as long as one of them has the shot. Um, and I think that sometimes brings our forward line unstuck a little bit. Let's see more barrels from outside 50. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, unanimous there with regard to, obviously, Jeremy Cameron's capacity to uh, unleash, which was fantastic to see. But let's go right back to the start of the game. And I know, Mark Browning, once again, you were particularly impressed with the Welcome to Country. Well, was, uh, last week, the week before, I, I had a crack at the AFL and said about, you know, they name around and then they have pretty jumpers and they think they've done their job about fighting racism. Uh, I didn't mean to... Uh, to undermine the, what they're doing with with the, the Indigenous round. And I, I thought the, the local aspect of the, the pre-match uh, introduction from the Watharong people was spot on. It was good to hear some Watharong language. Um, I, I presume in Melbourne it was the Wurundjeri people who were doing the intro to the, uh, the game on Saturday night. So it was really relevant to the area. Um, and, and I found that really impressive. It wasn't just a general, generic, Aboriginal presentation. Um, and I think it was educational. And, and I, I thought it got a really good response from the, the crowd as well. I think they may be engaged a bit more because they could identify with the fact that it was the local Indigenous population who were presenting it and in, um, engaging us and educating us. I don't know what other guys thought. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Look, 
people, that's people right. appreciate it because it was genuine. It was yeah. genuine and and they could relate to it. And as you said, it was educational. And I think um, that's what made it a winner winner chicken dinner. Yeah. And look, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think the highlight for me, the thing that actually brought it to the grassroots and, and helped, you know, join the two together was hearing the choir singing, you know, the Geelong Football Club song in, in the native What a Wrong Language. I thought that was a, an absolutely fantastic moment um for uh, for that but um you know i thoroughly enjoyed it too and i just wanted to to quickly mention i know you know we predominantly focus on geelong but i just want to give richmond a, an absolute massive pat on the back for for their uh dream time at the g performance that that uh that performance with the, the richmond players being in the center um and and circling around the aboriginal dancers i thought was just one of the best bits of theatre I've seen at an AFL game in a long, long time, and they should be massively congratulated for the effort that they put in. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we've spoken about some of the really positive things and exciting things that have obviously featured across the course of the weekend. Some things happened outside the playing arena that weren't so impressive. What's going on with AFL crowd behaviour? Well, I think uh, they have to, the, the AFL, as I said the other week, have to take some responsibility for this. Now, they can't stop every incident outside the ground, but I think they've got a bit slack with their policing. Uh, they, you know, that it's just perfunctory. Oh, here's the phone number for antisocial behaviour. Uh, are, are they really up in the ante with security people? Are they letting in intoxicated people? I think that there's more can be done and it has to be tougher and harder. I even think at local level, they maybe need to install PA systems and start forcefully announcing the fact that uh, bad behaviour will not be tolerated. Now, you guys might, might watch more local football than me, so there may be things like that. But, uh, I, you know, it's still an issue. We've seen now two games and maybe just pure coincidence. We had in the members, I think, on Anzac Day, uh, the Collingwood Essendon game, someone was beaten up so badly they had to go to hospital. Uh, in in uh, in a toilet or something, and then we've had this awful event outside the ground on Saturday night. So, yeah, I think I think more can be done, and it has to be more forceful. And people have to be told if you repeatedly and strongly, if your behaviour is not to scratch, you're removed from the ground and then banned. And I don't know that they're doing it quite tough enough yet. Well, I would say on that, Mark, I did see a little bit of footage um, on Sunday from the Dreamtime at the G game and, and the Richmond and, and Essendon fans, and there were quite a number of people who were removed from the stadium for intoxication and so on, and and they were being treated pretty, you know, pretty roughly, like they were being, you know, and appropriately, I might say, they were being dragged up the stairs by the scruff of their necks and being escorted out of the ground. And, and I, for one, um, think that, that that is the best way to handle it. I also think that the uh, the vendors who uh, sell the alcohol inside the ground need to also, uh, you know, consider their situation as well. Are they appropriately denying service to people who are clearly inebriated and shouldn't be be given any more alcohol or, you know, is there police presence in those facilities to actually monitor whether people are, are prescribing to the responsible service of alcohol? Because we all know that alcohol is a, is a troublemaker, but also 
there's got to be that fine balance between allowing responsible, practical adults who are, you know, in control of their, their themselves to still enjoy having a drink at the football without having these drunken bogans making it tough for everyone. Yeah, I think these these incidents, uh, crowd incidents, uh, after and sometimes during games, I, I think they're more uh, incidental. They're more they're, they're quite sporadic. I know they're bad. We've we've had people badly injured at the football. We've we've had someone killed at the football in 1982 uh, when beaten to death by uh, someone wielding a can. Um, but in the main, the crowd behaviour in Australia at sporting events is pretty much first class. And it's a shame that uh, we do have these idiots who interfere with that from time to time. Um, but there's always uh, more that we can do in this particular area. And we do have laws, we have rules, and, and, and the, uh, the people responsible for enforcing those rules and laws uh, need to do so. That's the, that's the key thing. Uh, turning, you know, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. Yeah, the only thing that I'd say about maybe the the staff that are engaged by the vendors in terms of selling alcohol are often they're often young people. They might be university students. It might be a university job. They may not feel that they are in a position where they can tell someone who can sometimes be half cut already, maybe large, not necessarily, uh, quite potentially pretty fired up and angry anyway. And sometimes they can be really quite intimidating situations and I, I totally agree with you Mark Brunger I totally agree with you but I, I just feel that sometimes it's not as easy as simply saying oh don't serve that person because I'm sure that these same sorts of scenes play out in nightclubs and bars and pubs and things like that on every night of the week hmm. oh look I, I couldn't agree more Wes and and you know like I haven't been to the football much in the last couple of years in terms of sitting in the crowd. Obviously, at Geelong home games, I'm in a, a controlled environment and, um, you know, haven't been to terribly many away games. But I must say, when I went to, to Marvel Stadium a few weeks ago, the, the crowd was very well behaved. Like, there was no there was no issues. I mean, okay, granted, I was sitting in the AFL members' reserve, so it's, you probably expect the behaviour is going to be a little bit, uh, you know, oh, more... As a, as a pit of uh, trouble and there. You're lucky you didn't see anything, Mark. The den of iniquity, is that what you're saying? Yes. Shocking. Shocking place. <laughs> well, you're pretty safe at uh, 1.45 p.m. kickoff at Cadinia Park in terms of crowd behaviour. Sometimes you have to check the pulse of the people around you as opposed to their blood alcohol level. Well, on that, we, we talked a little bit about crowd noise a couple of weeks ago and I've got to say... I thought the crowd were actually pretty good on Saturday. They were getting into the game and there was plenty of noise coming through our window. So well done, Geelong crowd. And you would notice, Mark Brunger, there was no ground announcer interrupting the course of the game with juvenile screams to make a noise. Uh, well done, Geelong Football Club. You certainly read... Uh, the mountains of emails you received on this issue and the many phone calls you received on this issue. So well done, GFC, for listening to people. You're controlling the narrative down there at Caninia Park once again, Anthony Petkovic. I hope so. I definitely hope so. We have, um, as I mentioned off-air, a number of the coaching moves that I suggested last week were actually implemented 
We had De Conning go into the ruck to back up Lixavs. We had Atkins move onto the ball to show a bit of grunt in the midfield. We had Jeremy Cameron moved up onto the wing and made work hard the other way in defence. We had Cameron Guthrie play behind the ball as a sweeper. Guess what? That's where he's actually a very good player. So um, well done, Chris Scott. Well, I was going to say, Anthony uh, Pekovic, uh, have you have you become the new uh, Frank Costa? Is is that what it is? You're the you're the mover and shaker down there. The only thing I don't control is the trains, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but he has got the same sort of wealth as Frank Costa, apparently. Maybe. <laughs> my my okay. super's okay. Let's uh, go with Mark Brunger once again, as I know you want to talk about the uh, the ruck contest, Lucky Dip. Oh, goodness gracious me, gentlemen. Can someone please explain to me what the rules of a ruck contest are these days? You would have more luck if you went to Crown Casino, put every dollar you earned on Red 27 and took your chances because I am totally, totally confused with what ruck contests are these days. The 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 dumb stupid free kicks that no one understands that umpires pay in these ruck contests defy logic. I saw on a number of occasions on Saturday afternoon, Mark Blixarves or or actually even uh, uh, young De Koning a couple of times almost get thrown out of the ruck contest and nothing happens. Like it's play on. And then you get someone who might be slightly touched on the arm or just on their shoulder and suddenly it's a free kick. It is the biggest lottery of all time, and they are turning ruck contests into an absolute free-for-all, and it's time that something was done about it. Now, is that, let's get rid of ruck contests around the ground, have one in the centre when there's a goal scored, which are only marginally better, I might add, um, but certainly boundary throw-ins, Last touch out, give a kick to the other side because that's easier to understand than when an umpire blows their whistle in a ruck contest because you could lay any odds you want on any outcome and no one understands it. I reckon the umpires get an envelope before each game, a sealed envelope, and they open them up them up, and they'll say, this is the rules that you're using today because it changes week to week. I watch a bit of the uh, Hawks. Lions game, and I couldn't figure out what the umpires were on about there either. There were just free kick after free kick for nothing, basically. Uh, Hawthorne, I think, kicked 17 goals, and nine of them were from free kicks. So there's that's part of the problem. As far as the ruck goes, my observation from Saturday was that it's time to get rid of the bounce. I reckon one in three, they, they have to re-crop anyway. Another third of them totally favour one ruckman. You have a line across the middle. Everybody has to stand in a certain place and the umpire can't bounce it straight. Hurts the umpire's back. Uh, just doesn't seem to be worthwhile to me. I know it's a tradition, but, you know, if we're going to have the game played at a better level, that's one thing they've got to change. Just throw it up. As Midnight Oil would say, the time has come. A fact's a fact. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just throw it up for goodness sake because I, uh, it's, it's, it's doing my head in. Um, it's obviously become a problem. We're losing good umpires because of it. 
I'd rather them have time to work on their decision-making and game sense than have to worry about and stress over and wreck their bodies over having to bounce the damn ball. Just throw it up. Just back back to the, the initial point that I was making, though. Do, do, you, do you gentlemen actually understand ruck contests at all either? I mean, I, I get the ball, the ball bouncing is an issue, but... Mm. In in general, the 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 ability to understand why a free kick has been paid in a ruck contest has been taken away from the average supporter, and you've just got no idea why they're paying the free kick. I think the the, the reason, as I said, is that the, the contests where they both grab each other, which is what happens at a lot of boundary throw-ins and ball ups around the ground not so much the centre centre bounce, but ball-ups around the ground and boundary throw-ins. The umpires consider that both players grab each other and one just happens to be stronger in the end and thus tosses the other one aside. So they call, quite rightfully, play on. The one where there might be incidental contact is usually paid because one ruckman takes their eyes off the ball and is deemed to have interfered with the run or the movement of the opposition ruckman. That's almost impossible for a footballing spectator to see from their vantage points. But umpires up close can see which ruckman diverts their eyes from the ball to make contact with the opposition player. So I'm willing to give the umpires um, an out here and, and say that they're probably in the best place to decide those test of strength situations and those um, interference contact free kicks that the rest of us might not be able to pick up from the whichever vantage we're watching the game from. Look, how's that risk? You're an umpire. Uh, you're an ex-umpire yourself. Would you think that's a reasonable assumption? Yeah, there's a number of comments that I want to make about a few things that you guys have just said in the last few moments. And one is that I saw some really good umpires in my time on the AFL list cast aside because they couldn't bounce which was just ridiculous because they were mightily good decision-making umpires. Up with the play, discerning, um, confident and decisive, and yet they couldn't bounce the football. They didn't make the grade. Uh, That's one thing. Another thing that I want to say too, when um, Mark Browning, in in, in jest, obviously uh, infers that the umpires are, are sort of pulling out an envelope to begin each game, in reality, what happens is at their weekly meeting, there'll be a, a couple of spirit of the game type interpretations or decisions that are emphasised and it's quite human that the umpires actually go out that next week and they all of a sudden they're looking for that sort of thing. So you're actually not too far off the mark, Mark. In reality, that's the sort of thing that happens. And the other, only thing that I would say is that too often I see umpires, particularly with that, you know, um, not showing sufficient intent to keep the ball inside the playing arena, there's a lot of guessing goes on. A lot of guessing. And umpires are forced to be mind readers or, or, or try to become mind readers, and in reality they can't afford to be, they shouldn't be. They slip into that mentality, and unfortunately they make some glaring errors which suggest that they don't really understand the game of football because sometimes mm. an oval ball bounces at right angles. Yeah, and, and that's a good call. And uh, I think that, that sometimes 
um, you know, when you when you're a little less experienced as an umpire, and this is just a, a supporters a supporters view of the situation. Sometimes when you you're less experienced as an umpire, and you maybe haven't played much of the game leading into that, your understanding of the ebb and flow of a game is affected, and and that can affect your decision making as well because. There's always going to be incidental contact. There's always going to be accidental contact. And there's always going to be those situations where it's the ebb and the flow of the game that the the, the, the punter over the other side of the fence just thinks, let it go. It, it, it's not um, crucial to the outcome of the game that that, that free kick be paid. And, and, and let's face it, in that Hawthorne-Brisbane-Lions game, they were running out peas to the whistle every 10 minutes because it was just going off that often. Um, and uh, the interesting thing was, was there was one of the more experienced AFL umpires um, the, going around who was the lead umpire in that game. There was also Lee Fisher, who's a former player of the game with St Kilda. And there was a, a young fellow umpiring in that game whose name escapes me, but he's a former VFL player. So he's another former player as well. And the other thing that I, I discovered on, on the weekend is that just like everything else, the umpiring numbers are also being affected by COVID as well. So they have the health and safety protocols that affect the umpires as well. And that I'm led to believe is, is causing some problems in terms of having your best available umpires available every week. And some people are being called into the fold to help out that may not necessarily have that depth of experience at the highest level to be able to, you know, to make the the more consistent decisions that we would expect from, say, a Matt Stevick, who's been there for a long time. So it's just all these little bits and pieces that that, that go with it um, that sort of impact on it. But I think all, all, the, all the footy supporter asks for is that there's just consistency. So if it's paid, you know, one way at one end, it's paid the same way at the other end of the ground and not perceived to be paid in different ways depending upon who, who the umpire is. The irony of the game in Launceston was that it was a ripper game of footy, <laughs> one of the best of the season. So I don't know, maybe the umpires could say that, that they were justified because it was, a yeah, really a very good watch. All right, well, let's take the final three minutes or thereabouts of our program to talk about the... The teams that are struggling, that need a bit of love at this particular point in time, we do care about them. We need them. We need them to be good sides of the competition to give us a good contest on any given week. And particularly if we're watching a non-Geelong game, we want to see a good contest in those other games. We're talking about North Melbourne, Essendon, West Coast Eagles. I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll take North Melbourne. Um, look... I think for me, gentlemen, that that there's a little bit of a a bit of an artificial storm in a teacup going on at North Melbourne. Yes, they're having a few issues. Uh, yes, you know they they're down the bottom. They're struggling a little bit. But you know what? They are at absolute rock bottom, and they are now trying to build themselves back. I think that um, the media at the moment need to have a good, long, hard look at themselves because I think some of them are sniffing a little bit of blood in the water and they're going for the jugular at the moment and they're making themselves look like dills because you've you've got the North Melbourne captain, Jack Siebel, having to come out every week and say, no, 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 we back this coach. He's a good coach. He's doing a really, really good job. 
Um, but the concern for me for North Melbourne is is more uh, the, the the recent departures of their of three of their key recruiters. I'm just not sure what that's all about. Um, are they suggesting that those three gentlemen have, have run their race and uh, the recruiting of the club needs improvement and, and new and new faces? Or is there something more underlying there? But once again, um, give them some clear space. You know, against Melbourne uh, last week, they were competitive for three quarters. As a team down the bottom of the ladder, you can't ask for much more than your team to be competitive for three quarters against the best team in the competition. Newsflash, man, man changes job. Wow, <laughs> when, when was that a headline? Um, look, these people, some of their own family members probably don't know who they are. There's plenty of people out there. It's a great opportunity for North Melbourne to find the next young Stephen Wells. They're out there. Um, probably hot, probably the, the backbone behind some 60-year-old guy who thinks he's an expert on football. Go and find that young Stephen Wells and give him a job, North Melbourne. Um, look, good. there are plenty of good recruiters around, plenty. And um, one door opens, another one closes. This is the non-news story of the century. I think the frustration for North Melbourne supporters might be that the second half of last season, they won some games and they yes. went close in some other games. So they seem to have gone backwards. Um, we've talked about West Coast a number of times and, and I, I, I can't put my finger on that one because they're not competitive any game. Uh, as far as Essendon goes, I think they're just having... They played finals last year, so they rose up the ladder, they played finals, and they're having the season you have to have before you win the flag the next year. So they, 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 they really they think that you've got to finish, what, at least down 10th, 11th before you win your first flag in what would it be, 23 years. So that's uh, it's a, there's a plan there, a cunning plan at Essendon. Thank Essendon, you, Baldrick. The problem is they're, they're panicking. They're, they're, they're reading the Herald Sun. Their game plan changes from week to week. We're going to let loose the handbrake this week. Then, oh, next week we've got to be tougher and harder and man on man. And they just keep flip-flopping all over the place. Settle on what you want to be and stick to that game plan, Essendon. It's pretty simple. All right, lads. Great program once again. Thank you for your thoughts. Um, obviously, we we really appreciate everybody's contribution, and I'm sure that our listeners do too. Uh, to Mark Browning, Anthony Petkovic, Mark Brunger, they are the Cats Whiskers. I'm Wes Cusworth signing off. Hope you can join us again next week.